What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike, and joining me, as always, is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy, y'all. This week, we have, we've got a fun one. We always have a fun one, but this is, we'll, we'll mix in a little bit of Comic-Con trailers and reactions, but for our reviews this week, we have, this time, starting at the top with our Ghibli journey, we're doing Ocean Waves. Then we've got the Tignataro animated special, Drawn, followed by Masters of the Universe Revelations, and probably the best thing of the bunch, a Netflix anime movie called Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop. But first, let's talk about some of these trailers because, boy, we got a lot. Yeah, and we'll also be talking about the, the Olympic short Tomorrow's Leaves from Studio Panak, the team that did Modest Heroes and Mary and the Witch's Flower. All ex-Ghibli animators and such. But let's talk about the trailers first, or at least the one we saw, because there was just a little too much at Comic-Con, and I was too busy to get it, invest into a lot of it, so I'm just, if we miss any trailers, just, we'll find out about it. One thing I do want to bring up before unload this batch, one of, one of the panels that I watched over the weekend was the HBO Max Looney Tunes cartoon panel. And they released another new clip of, of Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. It's a play on like, like the muscle pills. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And it's probably one of the funniest iterations of that gag. I haven't watched it yet. So that, that'll be fun to, to check out. So we got a teaser for Dragon Ball Super Superhero. The newest Dragon Ball Super film that will be in CGI. And it's just a teaser. It's coming out next year. We'll probably get a trailer sometime in the in a later part of this year or next year. There's very little to talk about, but the, the only thing I have to say is um, the title sounds really lazy. Like it, it kind of sounds like this one student forgot to do his homework, so he just kind of scribbled something together uh, before the bell rang. Oh, my movie is called. Um, superhero and well from the cgi that we could see it didn't look that bad like we've we've come a long way with uh, japan and the anime industry using cgi for animation and i mean we'll have to see how it looks in motion and whatnot and and, and it's going to be tough because the last film's animation the 2d animation was just amazing Mm-hmm. And and it was it was probably also just a lot of the directing and what have you that made it look so good, just the shot composition and what have you. But we'll just have to see. I forgot to bring this trailer up the last time we talked about trailer reactions, so we're going to talk about it here with Ari Fullman's newest film, Where Is Anne Frank, which has a mix of CGI and 2D animation, which got a 14-minute standing ovation. Um, at the Cannes Film Festival. And it looks great. Like, it's so creative with its visuals. And the story sounds interesting. I'm curious to know how this story is handled because of, you know, I think you have to be a little careful with Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I'm, I just read on, on Wikipedia is that the film was originally conceived to be shot entirely in stop motion with the characters to be later replaced in traditional 2D animation. But man, how cool would that have been 
if this was like a fully uh, stop motion animated film. It would have looked interesting. I'm, I would have wondered how they would have tackled the subject like, matter. Well, that and just the, the stop motion itself. Would you've gone like an Ardman route or a Leica route or somewhere in between like a uh, My Life as a Zucchini? It depends on like their attention to detail. Cause as you've noticed with like, like the Ardman styles is, it's a little bit more claymation. Whereas yeah. Leica, they, they'll like, they'll go all out creating, creating the outfits and everything. Right, right, right. And then um, right after we t did that whole trailer reaction thing from a previous episode, Pixar is just like, sorry, I'm late for class. I'm sorry. Here's your trailer for Turning Red, which will come out next year, which I was a little shocked that we got a, tra a teaser this early. I know, right? Because isn't like this movie isn't due for another year, right? Turning Red is being released in March of 2022. So still like half a it's, year away though. Yeah, it's it's well, a little more than half, but still. it's light year that'll be um, towards the back half of the right, year. Right, right, right. And I loved this trailer. I love, well, I hate that it's now nostalgia that it's the early 2000s where this film takes place. <laughs> because now it's like, oh, I grew up during that time period. You, you mean the early 2000s were how long ago? <laughs> I feel old. Stop doing that, movies. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, I was 10 years old, like either 10 or 11, the, like the year that this film was set. And, uh, and just, just goddamn, how great was... Um, that needle drop of Backstreet Boys larger than life. Oh, I loved it. And I know some people were like, I just can't with this needle drop. And it's just like, chill out, y'all. Like, come on, gosh darn it. I thought it fit. And it's like, if you're going to choose a song to play during this time period, at least choose one that fits the theme. And well, the red panda form is larger than life. Exactly. <laughs> Now, for the animation itself, it, it looks great. It's it's a little traditionally Pixar, just from the human shapes and designs, but it's taken that Luca route from what I've seen, and it has like a little bit of those little animation details that you would see in like the Mitchells versus the machines and it, what we saw in Luca, where they implement blurred in-betweens and such and smear frames. Mm -hmm. But I like to look, and it, it, it looked very charming from uh, the tone. Like, I love how it looks like a horror film when the main girl realizes her mom's outside. I love that bit. <laughs> the policeman's just like, hey, you're not supposed to be on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that um, this is directed by uh, Domi Shi. She is a, um, a Chinese-Canadian director who made her debut on the, uh, the Pixar short Bao that was attached to uh, Incredibles 2. It was the best thing, a part of that experience. <laughs> oh yeah, that short is incredible. It is, and um, it's also going to be the first female solo-directed Pixar film. Shouldn't have taken this long, but you know, not gonna, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, and also Bao won the best short at Oscars, so it, it, it just looks fun. I, I love the ending joke of where she's just trying to keep herself calm. And then she's like, yes. And then instantly poofs back into that form. <laughs> yes. 
no. <laughs> you got Rosalie Chang as May, and then Sandra O oh plays her mother, uh, Ming Li. Sandra O, oh, love her. But yeah, that's really all I have to say. We're, we're not seeing this this movie until next year. Like, and there'll be I, there'll be plenty more trailers to come between now and then. I'm sure we'll get at least like one or two trailers tops. One maybe just in front of uh, Encanto when it's finally released, and then when this is released, we'll probably see Lightyear. Next, we have uh, Blade Runner: Black Lotus, the other Crunchyroll Adult Swim collaboration that will premiere this fall, which is fully CGI. I was a little disappointed by that, not because it's like oh I was expecting just the greatest 2D animation. I just didn't realize that they were going to go this route with the the CGI look where it looks kind of like a PlayStation 3 game and such, kind of like the Square Enix route in terms of like character designs and. Yeah, I, I kind of see like where your head was at with that. I guess I just think like, I know like neo-noir stuff doesn't have to be like fully lit neon colors and what have you that like everyone kind of assumes it is i was expecting a little something different and it looks fine the main character looks like uh alita from battle angel alita and i did hear steven root pumped to see him i I love steven root i don't know if we ever actually talked about this cast but just like look at these names we got the main girl l is voiced by jessica henwick joseph is uh will young lee alani davis is voiced by uh samira wiley Brian Cox is Neander Wallace Sr. You got Wes Bentley as uh, his son, um, Neander Wallace Jr. Uh, Josh Dumel as Marlo. I take it he's one of the one of the villains. Peyton List voices uh, Josephine Grant, and Stephen Root plays the husband, the police chief Earl Grant. Right. And then Barkat Abdi is uh, Doc Badger. Greg Henry is Senator Bannister. Henry Cherney as Dr. M. And Jason Spisek is Hooper. This is a very uh, interesting cast. It's kind of like what we talk about. The best uh, voice cast will do like a blend of A-list actors with professional voice actors. And I don't know if any of these have like traditional anime experience. It's a very mixed class, which which I appreciate. Yeah, I like the voice cast. I think, like, to me, the best cast you can do is either full-on voice actors or a mix of voice actors and character actors who, like, have experience with voice work. And I think that makes sense with, like, someone like Steven Root, who's done everything from, like, King of the Hill to uh, Woozy from Brave and the Bold during the main Plastic Man episodes. And someone like Brian Cox, he he just kind of fits this world when you you listen to him and in this trailer right 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 so it looks good well we'll just have to see how it turns out i'm looking forward to the other one more the yuna pirate princess and not because it's 2d it's just more my thing when you combine samurai ninjas and pirates (laughs) yeah that's that 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 is a pretty winning combination yeah yeah during the comic-con uh some of the trailers that we got to see, there was one for the teaser for the Paramount Plus series, Star Trek Prodigy. I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I mean, in general, like overall, but I do like the CGI. 
and I like the tone that the trailer is giving us. It still feels kind of like a Mass Effect animated series more than Star Trek. But the fact that it's going to be a, most, a mostly alien cast will be interesting to see how that unfolds because I, I just don't think about that with Star Trek. It's usually a bunch of humans and maybe a stray alien here or there. And yeah. usually then and usually then it's just like, oh, we just green skin, alien there. No. <laughs> or like a couple a couple bumps on your uh, forehead and and then boom, you're an alien. I, and I know that's like mostly of the old Star Trek they would do that and such, but and of course the new ones, especially uh the movies like Star Trek Beyond, whoa, <laughs> they elevated that up. <laughs> oh yeah. And also, is Jason Manzoukas just following us around? Apparently so. Because he's in this in, in the voice cast, and it's like, he's in everything we talk about. And I love it. It's just amusing. I'm not mad or anything. Yeah. The one thing about this trailer that kind of stands out to me is, like you said, it, it doesn't really feel quite Star Trek. Maybe it is because like the cast is like noticeably different. But just tonally, it comes off a little bit more like a like a Steven Spielberg uh, adventure film. Yeah, and I dig that. I mean, do something different. I, I think, like, because they also released a teaser for Star Trek Lower Decks. And I just wasn't a fan of the first season. And I'm not a fan of this one either. It just wasn't my cup of tea. It didn't really gel with me. But we'll have to talk about it after the second season's over. Because it, it was just like star trek with a little rick and morty so yeah but it but it's nice that like for all the criticisms i have with paramount plus and how they're like making new content by really relying on nostalgia for a lot of it they are giving everyone who likes star trek a bit of everything you got your live action shows you got your adult animated comedy and you have this one that's more for families they've covered all the bases you know you catch more fish with bait let's just say that and we finally got a look at the their other upcoming adult comedy called the harper house which we talked a little bit about during their big uh streaming thing and it looks all right i think the problem is adult comedies are so rampant now that and a lot of them just try to be like Rick and Morty or they try to be like South Park or Family Guy because that that's what the popular thing is at least it, it seems like it's trying to be a little different from everything else I like the human designs they look a little more varied than uh well they look different enough from everyone else and they kind of look like human like 2D versions of like your typical humanoid Sesame Street characters that's what I was thinking about when I saw this. And that's what I like about it. The, the round nose, the eyes, the head shapes and such. Not a lot of the jokes worked for me, but I liked the last one where they find a dead body in a sex outfit. And the, the sex outfit was the first thing pointed out. And it's like, no, 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 it's just a dead body. You know, it's just a normal dead body. Nothing, nothing unusual here. Okay, that's, that's kind of funny. I like that. I'm sorry. Every new adult animated like sitcom has to it has to be close enough sorry that show that show just raised the bar for me no it did because it was the first one outside of bob's burgers to do something different it's not just trying to be the most offensive thing ever like what a lot of bento box studio uh, art that are produced there 
but we'll have to see. I'm, I'm hoping for it, it to be at the very least charming, but we'll have to see. And then we also got some clips from Amphibia and the Ghost and Molly McGee, which these were just delightful. Let's talk about the Amphibia one first. Spoilers if you're not caught up with uh, season two. Because now, you know, we talked about this. The gang is back in the human world. It's a very short clip, but it's it's cute. And I remember reading the guest list for this final season and how uh, the, the lead's parents are going to be um, a major part of the story because they were mostly in the background for obvious reasons, of course. And it'll just be interesting to see how this next season unfolds in October because that's when it's coming out, which I was surprised to know that it was coming out in October. It seems a little bit soon compared when uh, season two concluded, but it's it's not the shortest uh, turnaround time between seasons. I think the record is the ending of Harley Quinn season one and season two, which was like, I think at most two months. Yeah. Oh man, that was very quick, which I think it means that, you know, they did a bunch of it on top of like they do they work on two seasons first and then um anyway it, it looked very cute i liked the gags and such and i liked that the parents weren't just instantly like where the heck were you they they're just happy to see Anne home but man the like the ending of that clip killed me yeah. <laughs> when uh, when hop pop just bursts out of the trash can and we're the planters the lovable frog family that Anne has probably told you all about <laughs> it's very cute and then well at least for me my favorite of the two and i liked both but the Mo- the molly mcgee one was just fantastic just all the jokes firing and landing which is not often with these clips and i think they chose the best one like the best clip to show when they arrive at with the at the house and molly it's just like Heck yeah. And then the ghost is like, oh no, heck no, this ain't going this ain't going to happen. <laughs> and of course, uh Ashley Birch and uh Dana Snyder work so well off of one another. Oh yes. And I, I just love like when he's about to go down, the uh attic door opens, like just like wham, like in the face, and then he tries to curse her, and then he realizes, oh no, I didn't curse Molly. She cursed me. <laughs> what, what, what made that joke work, though, was uh, the setup before it, when everyone's when everyone's kind of like, oh, so this is the house we're staying in. And then Molly's just like, this is amazing. So, oh, so already, like, she cannot be phased. She, it's like taking the best case scenario. It's like, oh, man, haunted house. Awesome. I'm going to take the attic. Oh, a ghost. Oh, a curse. Well, Technically, if that means you're going to be around me at all times, you're going to be a friend. And the ghost is like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like the loophole and a curse. It looks great. I can't wait for this new show. It might be one of the best of the of the year, but we'll have to see. I wish we didn't have to wait so long. And I get it, though, because it's Halloween and spooky stuff. But, man, come on. <laughs> all righty. And then we got... Um, two clips for two different movies coming out. One is for a film called Juliet and the King, which is done by the same studio that did 2019 slash 2020's The Last Fiction, which is from Iran. 
And you can tell that they improved their game a lot from film to film. And it just looks adorable. I love the, the animation on the cat and the humans. It, it has like definitely a grounded cartoonish look to it all. Kind of like a Disney film. Yeah, I was gonna say like the like the design of the cat reminded me of the kitty that uh that Isma turns into at the end of Emperor's New Groove. Oh yeah, 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 I can see that. It's a little interesting that they have pseudo live action portrait photos. Yeah, that that was a kind of interesting touch. Yeah, but it, I'm just impressed from what the last fiction looked like, which was a very ambitious film, but maybe a little too ambitious for their first major feature project. And then you see this and it's like, oh, these people like, like they went on a Rocky training montage and got better, <laughs> improved their game. And it, and it, it looks cute. I'm down for it. I love that it takes two servants to, t- to carry the cats. It, it, it just looks good. Because as every cat owner knows, they're the ones that run the house. Exactly. The pets are the actual owners of the house. We just live within them. <laughs> we also got a clip for Vivo, the new Netflix film coming out in August, which we still haven't got a trailer for. And I don't think we're, I don't think we're ever going to get one. As soon as we hit stop on this recording, oh, by the way, a uh, new trailer tomorrow. Because they finally showed us a clip of it, a sequence of the uh, song, Keep the Beat, where they're going through a uh, swamp area. And it looks good. I think it looks cute. Like it hasn't, I mean, I understand that kind of like, oh man, I feel bad for it because it has to come out right after uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines. But I've been like more and more excited for it ever since like the teaser to the Annecy preview. It, It just looks good. It looks charming and it looks a little slower paced in terms of what you would expect or when you think of Sony Pictures animation. It would be easy to make this comparison because of because of who's involved, but yeah, it does look a little bit more Disney-esque. Um, the, the faces though are, are very clearly Sony, but one of the producers is Rich Moore who has worked on a couple of, uh, you know, the Disney films like Wreck-It Ralph, Zootopia, Ralph Breaks the Internet. So it, it, it makes def- sense. Yeah, it, it, it has a more, I don't really want to say subdued, but the, like the, the animation seems almost like perfectly timed to the music. Which, which is good. <laughs> yeah, which makes a lot of sense because like I mentioned on, on an earlier episode, this is basically a, a passion project for Lin-Manuel Miranda his writing partner um, from In the Heights, Chiara Allegria Hudes, and uh, composer Alex Lacamoire. Right, right. And um, and Kirk D'Amico is the director behind it. Um, and it and the song sounded pretty good. Lin-Manuel sounded good. I'm not as tired of him as a lot of people are. Like, I, I understand oversaturation of Lin-Manuel Miranda after Hamilton took hold into the pop culture zeitgeist and discourse but it it looks charming enough we'll just have to see i i just want the film to be fun and enjoyable and the music to be good and that shouldn't be that hard so and then we also got a trailer for the upcoming witcher 
anime, quote unquote, film, The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf, which is being animated by Studio Mirror. So naturally, I'm going to love this. Yeah, it's anytime we can get a uh, action animated film, I'm all for it. Even if I don't like it, I'm going to be happy to see it. Now, granted, what of course, would I love to see something like super original, like Promare? Yeah, but if you, it's like to me, I was not the biggest fan of the Netflix Witcher series, even though it had Henry Cavill and I thought he was pretty good. I just thought the story wasn't as well told. But I am very curious to see how this film unfolds because it's not following Henry Cavill. This is an origin story. Um, it focuses on um, uh, Geralt's mentor, yeah. um, Vesemir, uh, voiced by Theo James. Yeah, and I mean, it looks, I mean, it, granted, it looks fairly like macho driven and such. Like definitely a male demographic, but you know, I, from what I've seen, everyone seems pretty hyped about this. I like the corniness of it. I mean, that's kind of like when The Witcher was good with me and such, when it was able to be serious but also have a little moment of humor in between all the bloodshed and what have you. Of course, gotta have that levity. Yeah, gotta have the levity. But otherwise. I can't wait. It comes out in August, near the end of it. So we'll talk August, about it. Yeah, August 23rd. We'll have to see if we can talk about it then because we're doing our big anime preview in the later half of August. So we might have to do it like, maybe do like a quick pop podcast talking about it or we'll just save it for September. But yeah. you can expect me to, of course, review it and what have you. So, And now we all for our trailers. A lot yep. of good stuff, a lot of variety. Always good to see. Move Before on. we get to the features, we do need to talk about the uh, the Olympic short from Studio Panak. This is uh, Tomorrow's Leaves. Well, first of all, I, I've just been starving for something uh, Studio Panak because it's been a few years now since their last film, or uh, in their case, an anthology film called uh, Modest Heroes. And, of course, everyone would know them as the ex-Studio Ghibli studio that also made Mary and the Witch's Flower, which was, you know, considered ghibli light because it was very much a Ghibli-style film. But, you know, that's neither here or there. And so I was happy to see the uh, short. And I think it was supposed to orig- originally come out last year, but, you know, you know. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. What did you think about it? Man, this thing is, this thing is beautiful. It's, it, it is pretty much a painting come to life. It's a silent short, so it's not really dialogue, but what, what they don't have in that, they make up for in gorgeous visuals in, in a, uh, like an eight minute short. They, they pack in, they pack in a lot, a lot of story. They do. And it, it's just like these different people coming together from this one, like from all these different islands coming to this one island that's Something's going on with it. And a lot of the challenges that they encounter are creative, like nature-based versions of all the stuff you would see in uh, the Olympics and what have you. And of course, since everyone here is mostly a an ex-Ghibli animator, well, it looks great. The human designs are all very Panak-inspired. And 
it's just creative and it has its own real charm. I could absolutely see this like expanding into a film if they wanted to go in that direction. Yeah, like it, like so, like something very kind of nature based. Yeah, nature based. It doesn't have to be Olympics and what have you, but who knows? They could. Wouldn't be be the first time shorts have been like expanded on into movies and what have you. Very true. And I don't really have that many things to complain about. It gets its message across, which is like all of us coming together to help the earth and all coming together for the Olympic Games because it's one of the few times we all come together from around the world to, to see each other and to compete. We're not saying like any any praise of this thing doesn't negate what any of the issues and stuff that is happening, but that we're just here to talk about the shorts. Right. And it does its job. Like I know some people could look at be cynical about it, but I'm not gonna be that person. So Yeah. But it, and just it, just on, on its own on its own merits, like like even if this had nothing to do with the Olympics, like it would it would still just be a gorgeous uh, work of art. Yeah, it's very creative. And we were talking about this off camera or off mic. If, you know, Ghibli kind of shuts down after and just focuses on the museum after Miyazaki's last film, Studio Panak is there. And while, of course, I want Studio Panak to have their own identity than just to be the next Ghibli, no harm in trying to give us some Ghibli-ish films. My thing about Ghibli post Miyazaki, like, is I want that studio to be, to, to have a life after Miyazaki. Like, I know we unfortunately lost uh, Isao Takahata back in 2018. And uh, The Wind Rises came out in 2013. So Ghib- Ghibli's future has always kind of been um, in, uh, in flux. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later when I talk about recommendations because I'm going to talk about Panaka a little more. But for now, it, it's a good short. It's very charming, well animated, cr- vibrant, creative. Definitely go watch it. It's free on YouTube right now. So now let's talk about one of the more curious cases of Studio Ghibli with their one major TV film before Earwig came out. 1993's Ocean Waves, directed by Tomomi Mochizuki. And this was, of course, the big project of the Ghibli higher-ups letting the younger members tackle their own film, which was going to be a TV special. And then it turned into a film because they went over budget and went over time. And, well... After it got released and got pretty okay to positive reviews, that was it. They never tried this experiment again because production didn't go well, which, you know, not every studio is just like, oh, we have no problems. Every studio is going to have problems. Even Mm -hmm. Pixar almost lost everything when they were making Toy Story 2. I mean, a lot of animation fans know about that story where they almost lost everything and then someone who was on maternity leave... um, had everything saved on a computer to bring it back to the studio and it's like okay think ravey that we are okay and we don't have to redo a bunch of work it, it just seems kind of weird that they 
what's the right term for this? Uh, it's like, oh, it didn't work out. Okay, well, bye. We're not going to do this again. I think the term you're looking for is gun shy. Gun shy, and then they just kind of crumbled under one failure, which, you know, I get it. You're Studio Ghibli. You're the higher ups of animation um, for in the theatrical scene for Japan. So you want to look good at all times, but still that that kind of attitude led to why there's really no one else outside of Miyazaki. Yeah. As far as just this move on its own merits, I didn't love it, but I just appreciate that it exists at all. Production troubles aside, you know, fun, fun fact for you Western uh, Ghibli fans, one of the only Ghibli films to not receive an English dub. It's the only one to not get an English dub, which was interesting because for a while, like after Disney brought over like a majority of them, Ocean Waves and Only Yesterday were the only ones that they did not bring over. And when you finally watch Ocean Waves, you can kind of see why, and not just because it's a TV movie, because that's dumb to be like, oh, we're not bringing it over because it's not a theatrical film. No, it's because it's the least whimsical of the Ghibli films. And you can kind of get that like when the younger generations were working on this, you get that like they weren't thinking, how can we make a Miyazaki or a Takahata kind of film? They were thinking like, what do we like? And they like teen dramas and teen I, I, romance. I think I think the one the one thing that this has in common with the rest of the Ghibli library is at least to some degree, they all kind of share the same house style in terms of like the character designs. Yeah. But this is a film stripped of pretty much all supernatural elements. And like the story really is like it's pretty much a, a slice of life or like romance drama yeah it's it's basically about like a guy going to a class reunion and remembering like his high school days with uh, his friend and a girl that they encounter who's new to the school and then and then it just goes from like story beat from story beat of just different incidences that progressed their relationship or hindered it depending on how the the narrator that is our main character talks about it and I'm not going to lie, I do wish this film got a dub, but I understand because there are definitely some lines and dialogue sequences that I think even just putting subtitles on, most Western animation fans aren't going to get. They're not going to pick up on it. When you meet our main character, or one of our main characters, Rikako, she talks to Taku, who's, and she's just like, I don't like your accent. You sound too much like a samurai. And of course to us, and if you don't know anything about the different dialects in Japan, you're not going to get that. So how do you translate that? It's kind of like a no-win situation. <laughs> yeah, like most Ghibli fans who like probably only know the dubs would definitely like have a different reaction to this film, but if you tried to dub it, you kind of lose some of the specific cultural references. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of a bummer because, because those only pop up every once in a while. 
and they're not really that matter of fact. They could they could have easily just said something else, but of course they want to stay loyal to the script. So I can understand why they just put subtitles on. I guess I just would have liked to have been able to listen to it and like because sometimes I'm working on something else when I'm trying to watch this and if my attention's taken away, the subtitles might just go by and I'm like, wait, what did they say? And I'm kinda of curious, who who would you cast in like the main roles? Um, I, at, le- at, le- at least just like Taku and, uh, and Rigako. I would get the cast for maybe the English dub cast for Horamiya. Ooh. Um, because I could see like Marisa Duran and Alejandro Saab to, uh, who could do like the, the two individuals and then like get Zeno Robinson and what have you for uh, the main characters and then just get like everyone else that you can, that you want to get for these stories and such. That's not a bad cast. No, and I like the dub to Horamiya. And I, well, I love Horamiya. <laughs> I think that's what, I, it's a good teen drama romance. It's probably my favorite one of the years so far still. I mean, like, what did you think overall about like the story? Because to me, from what I picked up from Ocean Waves, it's when I first saw this film back in 2017, when it finally came out on Blu-ray, I was not fully on board with it. I found the characters obnoxious. But I understand now, like rewatching it again, the mindset. It's just like, it's that time period of changing from high school to college. And then you have the main girl who's very much just upset about her family situation and just doesn't really know how to interact with everyone. Then you have the two guys who are in love with her, but they aren't you know they don't take the best approach to doing so to telling them confessing their feelings to the main girl and such yeah they 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 really kind of suck at that as far as like the characters go yeah they do come off highly unlikable but the thing about that is a they're high schoolers so like of course they're going to be um you know emotions are on high so (laughs) yeah but like there's a certain relatability to these characters where like either you knew a taku or you were taku like around that time yeah it's kind of funny how the characters i like the least are the ones i relate to the most i mean that's the power of a ghibli film you still i still found myself connecting with the characters and you understand the story and such and like there's that point at later on when uh, Taku gets slapped by Rikako and then gets punched by Yutaka. And it's just like, dude, if you like her, just tell her. Yeah, there, they... there, were, there were so many times like where I would yell at the screen, Taku, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's basically the whole premise of, well, quarter in the jar, Horamiya. The quiet parts are told out loud. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that's really the biggest problem I have with Ocean Waves. It's a little too traditional teen drama. Like, it's a love triangle. Okay. And? That, that's it. That's what it is. But I will say, at least the, the ending, as cut off as it was, I liked it. It's a lot better handled than Earwig or Whisper of the Heart or uh, From Up on Poppy Hill which we'll have to get to that when we get to that. I can't wait for you to 
<laughs> see how whiplash inducing the ending is. Oh boy. But but it I still think it's pretty good. It's on the lower tier of Ghibli. Like if I had to, it's like it's not one of my favorites, but it's still good. And I still wish Ghibli did not become like crumble under like, oh well, this didn't do well, so we're not gonna do this again. Like it's not it's not gonna be great right off the bat. I'm sorry I'm not Miyazaki. <laughs> and it's kind of a bummer to hear that like the director got a uh, peptic ulcer because of Oof. the stress they were under. Ouch. Yeah, so we'll have to talk about this when we talk about the uh, this summer 2021 anime season. Just like stop stressing out people, please anime industry. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I'd still recommend watching it. I wouldn't put it as like main priority number one Ghibli. Oh no, no. This should not be anyone's first Ghibli film. This is this is like your this should be like your fifth or sixth. Like when like when once you're kind of settled into a groove, then you could be like, oh, ocean waves. Yeah, let me check that one out. Yeah, definitely like see the one the biggest ones and then work your way down to this one. Like it's so good. I still enjoy it. And I, you I just I, have to I think the ending is is kind of what saved this movie for me. I thought the ending was was like really sweet and uh it just felt good to see our two main leads happy. Yeah, and there's still a lot of great moments. I love when they're walking on the uh the docks and such and then that very last clip of him like seeing her across the railway and just trying to get over to that side to see her. And then it's just like, yeah, I just realized I've been crazy in love with her. And it's like, oh, that's sweet. I like that. But yeah, they, they shouldn't have, well, their motto was they were going to make this quickly, cheaply, and with quality. Well, <laughs> I've got some bad news for you. You either do it quick and cheap or you do it cheap and take your time with it. So, uh, oh, well, I mean, we'll talk about this again with, well, I mean, this is always going to be the thing when we talk about Ghibli films. It's just like, I wish they had other directors, please. But, you know, I still check it out. It's just curve your anticipation for it. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about another TV-related thing with Tig Notaro's Drawn. I this... wish I wish we had more uh, like actual production information to tell you, but the the worst thing about this special is that finding that information is like finding a needle in a haystack. It's so hard to find information about this special because I want to give the artist proper credit because this is really ambitious for a, a comedy special, a fully animated special. And it's done in all these wildly creative animation styles. It was just interesting to see how the jokes, and like, like how the animation matched up with the jokes. And I like that with every different uh, joke, they had a different animation look. Were there any that were, any one particular that, that really stood out to you? That's kind of the problem. They all stood out to me in one way or another. I think I like the one where she's talking about, I think the one like with the, like Van Halen one looked a lot of fun to me. And then the one where she was like, you know, I played guitar and I was known to be really good, even though nobody knew who I was <laughs> or that, has seen me. That one killed me. 
And I, and I think really I grew to love like the in-between jokes, uh, animation bits, like the, the one that had like the main default look. Like, yeah, it's not the most vibrant or creative of the bunch, but I, it just had its own charm. And a lot of that is because Tig Notaro has so much character to her and her dry sense of humor. And like, I love that she can go from like trying to talk about the Kool-Aid man to then talking about like how, like during a job she, that she had when she worked with children, she wasn't listening to her coworker talking about how, dinosaurs and she's like, it's like oh yeah you know they took some dna from a mosquito and then they cloned dinosaurs and now they're running around eating people <laughs> and then she's just like wait wh- why are we talking about this if this is happening i didn't realize she was talking about jurassic park <laughs> did you have a favorite animation style or look um it was that plus the like like the bit the bit of the uh you know the person in the audience trying the new the new laugh Oh, that, that one was good. Uh, there's that. And um, of course, they had to end on a, uh, a Dolly Parton joke, which completely escalates. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, like, that's, a, that's a creative thing about this special. They, the animation adds on to the jokes. Yeah. They don't just like, they could have easily like done a motion capture or a motion tween animation thing, but no, they they look the all the teams making this were like how can we make this joke land better and like how can we make this work i also like the one where they're where she's going with her friend driving through texas and seeing her grand great aunt and just like how you hear like oh no and then she just has this look on her face where she's like oh yeah oh no this woman this old lady is super excited to see us and she probably doesn't see anyone like ever boo on us apparently <laughs> oh wait i think my other favorite is um is the one where where tig is like constantly blowing off jenny's slate because oh yeah sorry i've got this i've got this like appointment or um, like i'm not it's like it starts from i'm feeling sick i'll call you in a few days and then the next time she picks up i have pneumonia and then and then like a, l- a little bit later it's like oh by the way i've got cancer and then after that, it's like, hey, I'm out of the hospital, cancer-free, but something happened terrible to my mom, and she has to be taken off life support. And it's just like, you can tell how bad she felt, because every time Jenny Slate tried to talk to her, it's just like, oh, the worst thing is happening. And that, that's just cool. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just funny that I know some people don't, like, don't prefer a dry sense of humor, but I like it, so. I, um... Like Tignataro is one of those um, comedians where your mileage may vary, but for for some for some reason, like her her comedic sensibilities matched with with animation, just kind of works to the, to the point where I kind of want to see her in more voiceover roles because I think she would just crush it. She's done a few voiceover roles. I mean, she was in uh, the Fungies as. That's right. Uh, she was um like. I think she's like the sister of Commander Laser. Yeah, she is. And um and yeah, no, I'd love to see her because then of course I I saw Army of the Dead and I loved her in it. Oh and, yeah. And it, it was just a good special. I thought it was consistently funny. Yeah, maybe not every joke landed personally for me, but most of the jokes, like 99% of the time the jokes landed. 
just because she had had full commitment to the bit mm -hmm. of it. Even, 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 even something as, as small as, oh, there's a spider hanging out, hanging out here. And like, they, like, they go out of their way to, to like bring so much life to a fucking insect. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> then she just rolls off of that. And she's like, I love that this spider is just hanging up there, hanging out out there. And it's like, who's performing tonight? I don't know. I'm not impressed. I thought I was Dimitri Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and y'all please if there is a spider above me just listening to me tell my jokes and it's about to eat me make sure to tell me <laughs> she had a good interaction with the audience like she wasn't too mean and everyone kind of like took it in stride with how she uh, tackled the jokes and such I, I love like during the Dolly Parton bit where she's like, okay, everyone's usually a fan of Dolly Parton, but clap your hands if you are not a fan of Dolly Parton. I think you hear one person clap and then she's just like, psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, y y there is a psychopath in the room if you don't like Dolly Parton. <laughs> and then they show like someone in a Hannibal <laughs> mask next to the audience member. <laughs> and it's just a lot of fun. It's kind of hard to talk about this because, you know, it just be us recapping jokes. Right. Or, uh, or just talking about the animation style, which, you know, kind of hard to do with a podcast. So yeah, just, just go watch this special. It's hilarious, but that's all really all I have to say. Just, just go watch it. If you have HBO max, it's on there now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely give us a watch. If you're a fan of, of Tignataro already, then this is like the easiest recommendation I can give. But if you're not, um, and you're just kind of curious about this process, then yeah, I also think it's just worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just cool, an animated comedy special, not just someone animating a comedy bit, a comedy special just from, from the ground up. I know why this was kind of like, this idea was conceived, but like, I'm also, I'm also surprised like, this isn't a more common occurrence. It's kind of interesting that really Tig Notaro is the first one to do a full special like this. And it's interesting because this is, a, this is within the same year that we had Bo Burnham's Inside. Like two wildly different, but two wildly ambitious comedy specials. Yep. And I like, and I like that. It's cool. It's the, really the best co comedians are either honing their craft to be as sharp as they can be, or they're doing something experimental. That, that's what I like. Same. The, like the more hats a, like a uh, comedian wears, the better product they'll end up delivering. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like we just said, check it out. And now it's time to talk about the one the one series that has pretty much lit the inner the internet on fire masters of the universe revelation yeah we're talking about the kevin smith miniseries that um premiered this week which is taking place after the tv the original tv show not the reboot even though i could understand people saying like well this just looks like the reboot um but no this is taking place right after the original 80s cartoon and it's about how well, it's called Masters of the Universe, 
what do you think happens? Well, here's what happens. Basically, it's just another Skeletor invades Castle Grayskull, tries to get the power of it. And instead of almost failing to a comedic degree like the older cartoons, he almost gets it. And unfortunately, to make sure he doesn't make it and get all the power, He-Man sacrifices his life to make sure the world is safe and well and then well the secret comes out of prince adam being he-man and tila is just like i really wow y'all kept a secret from me this whole time and then she goes off on her journey because the whole world is then just separated from one another and then it turns into a journey of Tila trying to bring back He-Man and the sword to bring back life to a dying Eternia. So, Mike, what did you think about this uh, first, the first five episodes? Um, to quote Thor from the first uh, Thor film, mm, this series, I like it. Another! <laughs> seriously yeah. though um as great as the cliffhanger is at the end of episode five five episodes is not nearly enough for this feels yeah go ahead for the series um but take that as a compliment because i think this is great i i still haven't watched uh, castlevania so as far as i'm concerned this is like powerhouse animation at its finest or at least that it's refined yeah, it, like it's most polished. Like this is like the A tier work that they can do. And yeah, no, it's it does feel a little bit like a test to see how it would unfold, like how people would react. But the whole series has been made. This isn't like the first season of Castlevania where it was four episodes, and then the reception was so big that konami and netflix were like okay fine you'll do more which i thought that was kind of crummy it's just because it was just four episodes of build up so of two hours total and then that was it until the second season happened at least with this like this is very clearly part one yeah this is part one they, there is a second part happening and i overall enjoyed it like before we get into it and it finally did something that was what the series needed it needed some love and care put into how the world worked like how complex the characters are and to actually have some good freaking writing i'm sorry i don't like the original show and i can't believe people are willing to die on a hill for it but we'll get to that point if anything the 2002 series is more i feel like the 2002 series is more in line with what people like about this property yeah well it's just it, it's interesting because the 2000 series was definitely a little more mature but it was also still fairly goofy and not really like that much more serious than the series that predated it from the 80s and such so, so it was just interesting to, like, because I watched a little bit of both 
and I just liked Masters of the Universe Revelations more than either. Though the though the 2000 series will have a place in my heart for its great voice cast that includes Cam Clark, Gary Chalk, uh, Scott McNeil, Paul Dobson, uh, Michael Donovan, and a few and a lot of others. It's a great cast for for like for that era. Right, 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 and well, like. I guess we got we kind of had to talk about it. So, basically, a bunch of stupid people got mad that they think that Netflix, quote unquote, lied about what the story was actually about. I don't know about you, Mike, but I see Masters of the Universe Revelations, not He Man Masters of the Universe Revelations. Yeah, He He Man's not in the title, so. There's, I understand that like the trailer can only show so much of the story, but it's not out of the question to, to guess that Prince Adam will not be in all of the episodes. And even then people are saying like, well, human's not in it. Yes, he is. They do flashbacks. He's still in the show, but the way that He-Man is handled in this show is more like how... Uh, Saitama from One Punch Man is handled. He's like this mythical icon, not the main character. Every It's about how the world and the characters that were involved around He-Man are affected by him leaving and then the rest of the world dying. And that's fine. It, this is a much more interesting story. It's not just He-Man fighting Skeletor. It was never meant to be that. So... That's that's their that's uh, those people's fault for being mad that the show wasn't what they wanted. Yeah, like the the story that we have is well, it's it's just that it's a story. Yeah, heaven forbid a He Man gets a story, even though it has such a terribly put together world and lore from the eighties and such. Because the toys were made first, then the show, then the comics, and then everything else. So. Pardon me if I like it that Kevin Smith and his team had a lot to do. Like, they knew what they were doing, unlike back then. Like, I'm sorry, the 80s era of cartoons was not great. They were, they were all just glorified toy commercials. A lot of them were, or they were just Hanna-Barbera or Ruby Spears just rehashing everything. So... I'm sorry that I like the more fleshed out new stuff than the old stuff. Not that the old stuff doesn't have its charm or appeal, but I just could not take the original show seriously. Like, did you know that even though He-Man's entire motif and is the, and the fact that he has a sword, the sword is not used? And then granted, that's kind of be, because of the times. But you make the sword the, this big deal and he's doing everything in his power to not use the sword. <laughs> <laughs> That's why that, that line in Revelations in the first episode happens where Skeletor is just like, you finally used that damn sword. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, how great is Mark Hamill as Skeletor? Oh, he's great. He brings that sinisterness but also the hamminess of the original actor who 
who is actually in this uh, show, Alan Oppenheimer, who plays Mossman. Yep. And he's the original voice actor for Skeletor. So that was kind of a fun little connection there. It's kind of like how the 2011 Thundercats cartoon, Lion-O's dad is played by the original Lion-O actor. That's so cool. I, I love when, uh, when like legacy voice actors come in to play like the descendants of, you know, their... Um, yeah, of the characters. And yeah. Such. And this was a really good voice cast overall. You got Chris Wood as Prince Adam and He-Man. You got Shara Michelle Geller. We talked about Mark Hamill. Liam Cunningham who everyone would know from Game of Thrones, is great as Man-at-Arms. I was really surprised by Griffin Newman as Orko. Orko, Orko is the MVP of, of this series. His, his arc and his, like, his heart-to-heart with um, Lena Headey, another Game of Thrones alum, Yeah, their dialogue was just, like, it was just so great. Um, like, the way, the way he went out was, it was heartbreaking, too, once, once you learn a bit more about his, uh, his backstory and how Orko is just kind of his uh, like babyfied version of Oracle. Like, I'm sorry. I'm so glad that they gave or- uh, Orko a proper character arc or just a character. He wasn't just goofy and wacky. Oh, whoops, my magic spell didn't work. Even though he technically let in <laughs> um, Evelyn and Skeletor because of a magic trick he did wrong in the original show. Let's see, we also have Tiffany Smith as Andra. She's great. Uh, Susan Eisenberg as a sorceress. Steven Root as Cringer, which I thought Steven Root did a good job also because I was, expect- I was expecting Cringer to be just comedy and such, but... There's a little bit of, of tragedy to his character too. Right, right. And then you have Diedrich Bader as King Randor. Alicia Silverstone as Queen Mar- Marlena. Tri- Triclops is voiced by Henry Rollins. Beastman is played by my man, Kevin Michael Richardson. Hell yeah. Then you got Dietrich Bader as also as Trapjaw. And then, uh, like we said, Alan Hoppenheimer as Mossman. Jason Mewes plays Stinkor. Kevin yeah, Conroy names. as Merman. These names are great. I love these. I love the these He-Man names. Like, I'll say what I will about He-Man and the characters, but I just love... There's a character named Stinkor. <laughs> and then there's the priestess who was voiced by Chris Summers. And uh, Roboto is played by Justin Long, who I thought did a very good job as a character. I'll be honest, I did not recognize uh, Justin Long as, as that character. I, I, was thinking, I, I was thinking it was going to be like, you know, just a distorted, um, like a distorted version of like Liam Cun- Cunningham's voice. But no, it's... That's a very, a very good performance. Yeah, and then we got Tony Todd as Scareglow. <laughs> Scareglow, I love that name. Hero. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Phil- Philomar plays a hero. Got these names. Vicor, voiced by Adam Gifford. Kudak, uh, uh, voiced by Tree Summers. Wundar, as played by Jay Tavare. And Grayskull, the original master of the universe, voiced by Dennis Haysbert. And that's, that's just a great uh, voice all around. Though apparently Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith's daughter appears, but I did not hear, I did not recognize her. I can't pick out where she was. Um, on, on Wikipedia, her character is um, Alina, 
but I would have to either go back to the series and like try to find her or maybe she shows up in like a couple scenes in in like the latter half of this but yeah that's a great voice cast and it was just great that they built upon like what would happen if he-man and skeletor just vanished and it was interesting to see triclops starts his own cult <laughs> i mean that let's say what it is it's a cult mm-hmm. and that uh, Beastman and evil in were until we find out in the last episode episode of this batch wanted the world to heal and it, it like the characters were great they actually felt like characters like i'm sorry when you watch an 80s cartoon if they didn't have a distinct look to them good luck differentiating them right <laughs> because let's just say that like first of all i love that they do prince adam and he-man as two different body types because of the, and just because of the original uh cartoon and toys Prince Adam and He-Man had the same body type. So it just makes the whole like, man, Adam, you're never in the same place as He-Man. And it's just like, that's He-Man. He's just wearing fancier clothes. <laughs> you mean you can't tell the difference? They're basically, they have the same hair, the same chiseled chin, the same tor- muscular build. How can you not tell it's him? It's, it's so silly. And all the, and a, a lot of the characters are just useless in the original show. Like I, I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm not sorry. The original show doesn't hold up. It's a good time capsule of like what 80s cartoons were. But man, it, like rewatching the show was just like, wow, woof. <laughs> and of course, it was a victim of the time period. I understand that. But at least other shows were able to work with that. Or at least they would every once in a while have something interesting. Here, just with the original cartoon, I'm sorry, there was just nothing to it. It's just kind of goofy and weird, a world that's not really fleshed out enough, and then into a moral that obviously felt a li- feels a little tacked on. Yeah. Oh, man. If you think Disney rehashed some animation back in the Dark Age, you, have not, you haven't seen anything yet until you watch a He-Man episode. <laughs> Jeez, now now I'm kind of nervous to to go back and revisit the original. At least like the 2002 series, you know, it had it had a proper story. It was it, it, it um, did more with the world and such. It actually gave it a character and like a personality and like something more cohesive. And it gave it actually did like to its credit did give characters distinct personalities exactly like i still remember i forgot which character like got mind reading powers um at like at the end of like during one episode but i did love like how they would look at like the character was looking at ram man and ram man would just look into the side and he said like i bet i could bust through that wall with my head And of course, this was, uh, again, a lot of it was uh, the performance of Scott McNeil, who's just a fun, underrated voice actor. Oh, yeah. Um, I know, I think this is a lot of the Ocean Dubs cast in the 2001. No, it's not Ocean Dubs, but it's still a lot of the like Canadian it, it, voice it, yeah. actors. It's, it's pretty much all of the, like, the big uh, Canadian names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a lot of, th- this was 
a pretty good show that yeah unfortunately well <laughs> you only gave us five episodes one one thing i will say before we kind of wrap up our final thoughts on this the the score by bear mccreary did not need to go as hard as it did oh like, it went hard i it, it sounds weird to say for like you know a netflix animated series but honestly this is probably one of my favorite um scores of the year you know very appropriate for this kind of story it's like big it's bombastic it's epic it's everything that you would that you would want from star wars meets lord of the rings exactly this was a real like just a great big like first half of a show and i hope the second half especially with what happens in that last episode turns out like gives us something really special because it's kind of cool that we're going to have like you have your really good she-ra series and then you have this and apparently they're making another he-man show and i'm not entirely sure if that's like an entirely different reboot or if it's going to take uh notes from she-ra um that's a good question i've i've heard i've heard like conflicting reports like like that might that might be a he-man series that takes place in in the she-ra verse um we'll probably find out closer to the end of the year if that's even like continuing well that that's kind of the thing i'm trying it's hard to find information about that one also because you know it, it's that thing announce a bunch of project projects that are in the works and then whatever one's getting further into production you keep those going and well you cancel the you quietly cancel the rest speaking of other projects one thing that this this Netflix series has successfully done is make me completely forget about the live action movie that's supposedly still in the works. Oh, that thing's not happening. I'm yeah, kidding. no, not 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 by a long shot. It's the the first one failed. That one was awful, even though it had Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, um, this, like the this He Man reboot will pretty much go down in history as like they they keep trying to get a a uh, crow reboot off the ground and that has gone nowhere i don't think i don't think mass of the universe is happening either well it's just like how also there's that um that your name live action adaptation see that's that's another one um the direct the director like who was attached to it who did uh minari yeah minari which great movie and i would have loved to have seen what he would have done recently left the project i i just don't think some some of these projects aren't happening, and that also includes stuff like the, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, the Akira movie? That's never going to happen. That That's just, no. Unless Netflix just takes over, like, control over that. That's not happening. There's such a, a big uh, graveyard of, like, deep in production or, like, deep in development uh, movies that will just be stuck in development hell forever. Yeah, there's just no way it's happening. So, so a lot of those projects are happening. But, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. Good news is you have you have a really good adaptation of He-Man that you can watch right now. Yeah, just just watch it. It's really good. So, de- definitely rec- for me it comes recommended. And the last thing that we're talking about is an ori- like a Netflix original anime film. Well, so they say. Words bubble up like soda pop. Directed by uh, Kyohei 
Ishiguro and written by Dai Sato. After meeting one bright sunny day, a shy boy who expresses himself through haiku and a bubbly but self-conscious girl share a brief magical summer. If this did not come out the same year as The Mitchells vs. the Machine, it would be my number one of the year. First of all, this has been a great year for animation so far. I mean, granted, that's what happens when you are able to release stuff. So. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking... Well, if you listen to this podcast, you know me. I've been looking forward to this film for two years now. Because it was originally supposed to come out last year. Of course, that didn't happen. And then it came out here, like, came out there, and then Netflix picked up the rights to it. And now that we have it, it's like, this is a very competitive year for just animation in general. Because not only do we have, like, the Mitchells versus the Machines and Luca, we also have, like, Calamity, New Gods, Neza Reborn, The Legend of Hay, The Bears' Famous Invasion of Sicily, and then what is my number two favorite film right now? Josie, the Tiger, and the Fish. Which I'm still very patiently waiting to see on well, streaming. We will talk about that when it comes out because it's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. But yeah, Word Bubble, Bubble Up Like Soda Pop is my third favorite film of the year so far. One thing that really works about it is that animation. This is such a good looking film. Like, I love its flat color, like, but bright and neon color palette. It gives the film a super distinct look. And the animation, like, for, to the characters and such, it has a lot of what reminds me of what's great about, like, Science Saru. Because it goes a little surreal, a little, what not slapdash, but just kind of rough. But it's, like, rough in a readable way. This is like like the more subdued version of something like Redline, which is very distinct lines. There's just personality dripping throughout everything. Well, it's just like, I, and I noticed the, the animation style for Words Bubble Up because of like when that one guy is getting um, those uh, figurines in the, in the vending machines. Like you see like this ball go down and you think, like, what is that? And then you see something grab it, and then it turns out it's the hand from the guy who's obsessed with that idol. Oh, Japan? And, yeah, Japan. Yeah, and that's his name, right? Because... I... Yeah, his name is Japan. Interesting. <laughs> and, like, when that whole sequence where, where the other friend who took the pop idol standee, and just how he moves is so Lupin the Third. Just very, like, energetic and not animalistic, but very, like, cartoony. And it's just so fun to watch that sequence in the mall. And for me, it was just like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. I, this is very cute, very charming. I was not ready for the emotional gut punch to hit as hard as it did with this movie. Was that the flashback scene of the record store owner's wife? It was when you find out why the record store owner is looking for the record itself and okay yeah that was when i knew oh oh this is something special and because a lot of the film is very much like a typical coming of age teen storyline and it's just about these two teens who interact in very distinct ways and then it becomes like how music and art connects everyone and i think that's so cool to see that it's such a like because this movie is 
90 minutes long. It's not like a two-hour Ghibli film or a Hosoda film. And I think that's what's great about it. it. It's like, it's its own little distinct teen coming of age romance. Something that I, I noticed like in the opening credits is that one of the uh, like production companies was a, re- a, a record label called Flying Dog. So of course there's going to be a very heavy music element to this. And yeah, the music's great. Oh, I, like, lo- I love that the record had a really nice like tune to it and such so that that's it, like this kind of low-key folk pop i get or how would you describe it no i think you're right folk folk pop is is pretty accurate and it was just this it's a very low-key kind of story and because it's very grounded and it just how like we portray ourselves in this world and it's super like touching and then when you finally see that part at the end when they play the record during the festival it's like oh well here come the tears (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because at first the old man is just kind of like oh he's kind of senile and not a whole lot to his like to him and then they slowly build that up and i love that this film has great pacing to it. it it really does and i love like the character interactions i love like when the girl forgets her phone and it's with the three guys and how they talk to one another. <laughs> and then how one of them, of course, Japan freaks out. It's like, Oh my gosh, she's from this idol group. And then uh, the girl's friend like just turns off the phone instantly. <laughs> and it's just like, why did you do that? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's such an expressive film and like Sing- signal md the people who worked on uh, one of my favorite films from 2017 napping princess and they also worked on mars red the show from the, the spring's anime season oh yeah and i really took a liking to that one yeah yeah and, and they've also done some other stuff like um like the demo uh, memorial keys uh firecraft which is coming out soon and then they did uh flcl progressive and then recovery of an MMO junkie. Like, it's a good studio and it's a good team. And the uh, director, Kyohei Ishiguro, worked on stuff like Your Lie in April, My Little Monster. And he's also going to be the director of the Bright Samurai Soul film coming out. Ooh, that's good stuff. Yeah, well, that, that's going to be um, interesting to see, like, how he handles the tone. Because this film does a great job of building up like the characters and just giving them complexity and just how and like why the main character like the, the the male lead talks like how he expresses himself with haikus and why the girl wears the mask over her face. This almost has kind of the same ending execution as Ocean Waves, where it's just like it ends right when the guy confesses. But do stay for behind the credits because like there's a little after credit scene and it's very sweet. It's just super charming. Like this movie is just charming and it's just so well executed with it. Oh yeah. This is one of those like foreign animated features that I wait on and wait on it in. Sometimes the hype doesn't live up, but this one does. This is one of my favorite films of the year. And I really don't have any major complaints. Like maybe some of the side characters are a little one dimensional, but that's nitpicky at best. And you still, they still have so much character to them. Like the, like the, that tough guy. <laughs> oh, the, um, the grandson. 
yeah, the grandson. Like he's trying to be so tough, and then he just crumbles when he sees one of the cute staff employees at the retirement home. <laughs> and I guess like one of those translation things happened with this film when because that one character is not fully not Japan, but um, the other one with the with the blonde hair. Oh, uh, Beaver. Yeah, Beaver. Like they have that moment where it's just like, like. Like I can't write Japanese, but you speak Japanese. Yeah, but I can't write it well. My, that was interesting. They it, like that was probably the best that they could do with that and such because it's of course it's like to us they're speaking English, but they're speaking Japanese. It's like one of those lines you just kind of have to you have to translate it because you're adapting the script. But as as far as like a Western's uh, suspension of disbelief, you just you just gotta move past it. I mean, that's how you really have to look at it with dubs. Just like, don't think about it too hard or else that will drive you up a wall sometimes, especially with c- certain lines from certain anime and such. Like, I think like this old anime OVA thing that Media Blasters brought over a long time ago, Jungle to Iku, had one of its one major funny jokes entirely ruined because it got translated. Ooh. <laughs> Because there was a character asking about what Japan is while speaking Japanese. <laughs> so weird meta joke right there. So, But anyway, words bu- bubble up like soda pop is amazing. I hope everyone watches it because they kind of buried this film. They gave it a trailer, but not on the main line channel. And then just like a little blip on the what's coming to Netflix thing. So pl- please do watch this movie. Please, I mean, like, I'm not expecting it to hit the Mitchells versus the Machine numbers. But I think people who are looking for an original animated film from Japan should definitely watch this movie. Yes, agreed 100%. Um, It is a little bit unfortunate that this is, you know, a Netflix movie. I mean, sure, I get that Netflix is, like, the large like the largest uh streaming service or one of them at least this would have been a great one to have in theaters even if it was like just a limited release oh yeah this one absolutely deserves it and i know but i get it that netflix is very finicky with what gets a theatrical release even if just a small one but but still like man i could you imagine how the visuals would look on the big screen oh the like certain scenes like especially the ones where it's just, even it's just like the two of them walking in like, like during a sunset would just be just breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking. And just the skyscape and just, just how they take like photos and then just paint over all of it. Like with, with flat colors. I mean, there's like shading and all that stuff, but it's just such a cool looking movie. And it just shows that like when given the opportunity, Japanese animation can evolve into something much more unique and different than what you normally see. And I hope there's more of that. And I hope this director um, is able to, and like these animators are able to do more stuff like this. Agreed. But that is where we are. It's time to bring out the Ghibli wheel. I know it's kind of weird because we started with Ghibli first, but we still have to get the Ghibli wheel. All right. So what do we got? Are you hoping for any? in particular honestly i'm just kind of playing russian roulette <laughs> i know we have to talk about grave of the fireflies soon but if we could push it off for one more week that would be wonderful 
Drum roll, please. You know what we're going to talk about next time? What are we talking about? We're going to talk about one of my favorite Ghibli films. One of my three top tier favorites. Ooh. We're going to talk about Spirited Away. <gasps> Hell yes. We're going to finally hit another film in the Ghibli anniversary calendar with Spirited Away, Ghibli's Oscar-winning film on its 20th anniversary. Oh my gosh, this film makes me feel old. This, came, this film came out when I was 11. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I still remember like old uh, TV commercials, um, you know, that were on Disney Channel announcing um, like their big like Studio Ghibli uh, box set. And this, this movie was like everywhere. Yeah, this was one of the first um, animated films to win the Best Picture Oscar. Like, maybe second or third? I'll double check. I think it was the second. Because this was, like, 2002. Like, this was, like, a year after Shrek. Maybe Shrek. Let's see. Yeah, it was the second winner. Yep. And it competed in that time era of Spirited Away. So, there was Spirited Away, Ice Age, Lilo and Stitch, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, and Treasure Planet. Hell of a year. Very interesting year. Yeah, no, I'm happy that uh, Spirited Away won. I think that was just the best movie of that year. And at first I was just like, did this come out during the same year as Finding Nemo? No, that was next year. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing next time. For recommendations, since we talked about Studio Punnock, I'm going to recommend people check out their two films, Mary and the Witch's Flower and Modest Heroes. And luckily, if you are a U.S., well, a U.S. Netflix viewer, you can see Modest Heroes. And, of course, a ton of other great films like Lou Over the Wall and other anime films like The Garden of Words. But you have no excuse now. You have a way to watch Modest Heroes. Awesome. I definitely need to watch those ones. For my recommendation, honestly, if, if you have a way to find it, um, check out the 2002 He-Man animated series it's one of those shows from like from the early 2000s that i i still have fond memories over um even just like watching the old toonami promos is is something i do what like every once in a while just just for that nostalgia yeah no um i remember liking the 2000 series and i'm trying to see like i don't think it was released on blu-ray at all or like dvd they have the original series on DVD, but I can't seem to find if they have the 2000 series, which is kind of interesting. I don't know why they don't have that one. I wonder if it's a copyright thing. Could be. The studio behind that, Mike Young Productions, has changed its name like five different times. So that could be something to do with it. I'm not sure. We'll just have to see. But yeah, no, uh, go watch Modest Heroes, which is on Netflix, and watch, uh, if you can, watch the He-Man 2000 series. And next week, next week is a big one. We're talking Centaur World on Netflix, and the HBO Max series, uh, Jellystone. And then, of course, we are talking about Spirited Away. So yeah, next week is going to be pretty packed as far as as, uh, entertainment goes. Yeah, as usual, there's always something 
and then of course in August we will talk about the uh, the the summer 2021 anime season. We're slowly going through it. A lot of us have been busy, so expect mid August release for those podcasts. Indeed. But before we had it here, uh, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on uh, Twitter at Cam's Eye View. I have my own website called camseyeview.biz where I review animated films and shows um, called The Other Side of Animation. And, well, you can. I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview. If you like my work, you can support me that way, and that's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out all my letterbox reviews on letterbox.com slash coachk42. You can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. Also look for us on Podchaser. We are still developing our Patreon details to be determined. You can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, check out renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this installment of Renegade Animation. Thank you guys for joining, and we will catch you guys later. Peace out. Bye.